Thanks for downloading a 3CR podcast. 3CR is an independent community radio station based in Melbourne, Australia. We need your financial support to keep going. Go to www.3cr.org.au for more information and to donate online. Now stay tuned for your 3CR podcast. But you also had people that were very fine people. Very fine people on both sides. And the, and the aliens with mind meld and give them the technology. They're bad aliens. So the, uh, Are you surprised the Nazis were influenced by demons? No, if demons are real, I would definitely think they'd be on the side of the Nazis. Yeah. McDonald's is connected to the Clintons. They chop up the bodies and put them into the sausage and hamburgers. People are being cannibalized. Look it up. And I'm watching CNN talk about this as violent white nationalist protests. We have done everything in our power to keep this peaceful, you know? It's uh, Pepe's become kind of a symbol. Welcome to Yeah Na Pesaran, a show about fascism and its gravediggers. I'm Cam Smith. I'm Andy Fleming. And joining us this week is Sarah Aniano who is a researcher who has been studying QAnon, as well as been looking quite closely at the trucker convoys, which are about to possibly descend upon the United States. Thanks for joining us. Yes, hello. Thank you for having me. I guess just to begin with, how did you get interested in this area? Sure. So, uh, like many others, in 2020, shortly after COVID hit, I was furloughed from my job. So, I had about three months of relative solitude. And in that time, I actually had a friend text me about how she heard that Ellen DeGeneres was on house arrest and adrenochrome and all these things. And I was like, whoa, like that's hilarious. So I'm going to Google that because that's very funny. And then, of course, I, I learned kind of what QAnon is and what's happening, you know, in the discourse on social media in terms of that. And I actually had started grad school just before COVID hit. So I, I thought that this was actually a really fascinating uh, communication event to apply to my thesis, which is what I did. I, I wasn't expecting to be in this field as a researcher in the capacity that I have now been in it. So I definitely was not expecting that. But uh, here I am now, and it is it's it's great in some ways and it's it's not great in other ways <laughs> was there a particular moment that uh, sort of flicked the switch for you in terms of okay this is actually something somewhat dangerous there was an article in the atlantic by someone named adrian lafrance and i heard i read that and then i heard her speak about it on a, a npr i think it was and once she described it, and, you know, she's a wonderful writer. And once she kind of told the story of, of what it was, especially the roots of it and like anti-Semitism and things like I, d- I hadn't known that before that time, I realized that it, it was quite damaging. And, you know, with the election coming up, it, it seems like there was reason for concern. But it was not until I heard her and read her article that I realized that this could be something you know, worth diving into. Last month, you co-authored an article with another former guest, Mark andre Argentino, about uh, QAnon and beyond, analysing QAnon trends a year after January 6th. Q hasn't posted in over a year now. It's been some time since we've seen a Q drop. What's going on with QAnon in 2022? So in 2022, we've seen, first of all, and, you know, we talked about this in the article, we've seen a couple of, you know, figures try to, I don't know if they're deliberately saying that they're trying to take over as the leader of the movement, but the movement doesn't have a leader. So, of course, when that happens, someone will try to take the lead. And so we saw, you know, Ghost Ezra, who's a known QAnon influencer. We see 
Queen Romana de Dulo of Canada, who's not the queen, but she thinks she is. And then we saw Negative 48, of course, was being led by Michael Protzman down in Dallas. And that's the JFK is coming back cult. So what we've seen, and especially since then, what's happened in the movement is a lot of fracturing and a lot of splintering. And so the groups might be getting smaller and there's a lot more infighting. But when those smaller groups kind of come together in their own circles, their beliefs get really, really strong. So, you know, the negative 48 people, you know, those who have stayed in Dallas for, gosh, like months now, they're hellbent and they are, you know, very, very loyal to their leader. So, you know, QAnon is not dead. You know, a lot of people thought that that happened after the election, or maybe they thought it happened after January 6th or after the inauguration, but it's definitely not gone and it's evolving. And I think that what we're seeing in the convoy discourse now all over the world is very reflective of QAnon and those who really want a cause to fight for now. Sarah, QAnon is obviously very adaptive. How do you explain the fact that despite so many predictions having failed on Q's part and now an abundance of those who try and interpret Q doctrine in apparently contradictory ways, how do you explain the persistence of this belief? And do you think it assumes the status of a cult or a religion at this stage? Sure. So, uh, you know, a well-known theorist and scholar, Leon Festinger, he came up with cognitive dissonance theory. Before he came up with the theory, he and a team, people studied an end times cult and they wrote a book about what they saw, and the book was called uh, When Prophecy Fails. So a lot of what we see now are the same tactics that were seen then. You know, pe- the leaders will guilt trip uh, other followers for not believing in it anymore. Followers will be threatened with being ostracized from the movement because they have, you know, grown such a community uh, in their membership. So I, I do think, of course, it has many of the the markers of a cult. I think it was Mark Andre Argentina who might have described it as like a neo religion because you know they they do still overall believe in God or the Bible or some other like spiritual ent- entity, higher being, what have you. They don't think that Q is God. They don't think that Trump is God. So it's not like they have their own new like deity, but they do have you know the markings of of what we see in other religions, like you know going back to Q drops. Uh, I see people cite Q drops all the time, the way that they might cite scripture from the Bible, because it's just this text that lives on, even though it hasn't been written in in over a year. People still seek it out for confirmation. One of Q's known catchphrases is disinformation is necessary. So what that means is that anything that they see that kind of goes against their narrative can be explained away with with Q drops and things like that. So it's uh, is it a cult or religion? I would say it's a little bit of both. It's sort of bizarre talking about this stuff. You, you say things like, oh, the, the people who think JFK is going to come back or, you know, the Queen of mm, Canada, yeah. and you sound like yes. a, a crazy person. But uh, they, these yeah. are people <laughs> who actually have, you know, gathered significant followings. Uh, could you tell us a bit more about the Queen of Canada? Yeah, you know, it's interesting because there are other – like I said, there's so much fracturing and splintering within uh, QAnon and among Q believers. And a lot of them think that her queen, I know I'm the queen rhetoric, is crazy. I've seen people recently say that she's a grifter. I've seen people say not to trust her. So it's certainly not a case of 
every QAnon believer thinks that Romana Dudula was the Queen of Canada. Like, that's not it at all. I think that her kind of beliefs maybe fall in line more with like the sovereign citizen thing of, you know, I am not uh, bound by the laws of the state. I am my own sovereign uh, free being and I could do whatever I want. And we see that in the convoy stuff too. I think that one of the most worrying things I've seen with the, you know, Queen of Canada stuff is the other day I, I saw these drawings. I don't know if they were done by children or, or adults, but I saw these drawings posted in uh, her Telegram chat saying like, you know, God bless you, like your highness. And there's something so disquieting about that to make an icon out of somebody who she's just not and she's really not any you know anybody at all like she's just very good at being persuasive but doesn't have any actual authority we have a king of australia uh down here really unfortunately for him is not quite gathered the same popularity as the queen of canada i think it might be that uh, (laughs) that lack of persuasiveness because i I think they have very similar claims to the throne well persuasiveness is very important you, you mentioned the sovereign citizen movement has the pseudo law sort of movement gotten a inroads within the QAnon community? Some people do and some people don't. I would say that I know that some of the like arrests that have happened of QAnon followers have to do with, I don't know, the, the fact that they don't think that they are, that the laws apply to them so they can do whatever they want. I don't think it's super duper widespread, but it's always kind of peppered throughout the movement. Uh, Sarah, one of the things that you've been looking into are medbeds. Can you tell us what is a medbed? Sure. So yeah, uh, another researcher and I have been very, very interested in medbed stuff. And uh, it does predate QAnon. I think that the earliest we've seen of medbed stuff was like 2013 or 2014, maybe. And you know, QAnon didn't technically start until 2017. But so medbeds, uh, the most important thing to understand about medbeds is that they do not exist. So whenever I say medbeds are, just take that with a grain of salt to begin with. But medbeds are um, a hypothetical diagnostic and uh, treatment, I don't know, pod or bed or some kind of device, or maybe it's like a hologram that is supposed to um, be able to diagnose and treat any illness, physical, you know, uh, mental and otherwise in record time and with spectacular accuracy and it has to do with like aliens and like the secret space program, which is like another whole thing. And in terms of QAnon stuff, what it falls into is mistrust of modern medicine and big pharma and the government. So the widespread theory is that medbeds have been hidden from us uh, by the government because they want to continue to profit off of the sick and the ailing, which, you know, that's, that's I understand uh, people's mistrust of, of that. But the problem, again, is that medbeds don't exist. Anybody who said they have benefited from a medbed is probably either lying or delusional. And what's happening now, and it's happening in Queen Ramana Dadulo's uh, Telegram chat, is that people are actually waiting for medbeds. And they're, they're hoping that you know, they will be rolled out to the public for their loved ones who are sick with cancer and you know, really horrible things. And so that's kind of why I thought that it might be something worth looking at, um, not just because it's like kind of wacky and funny and sprawling, but because there's actual people that may just die uh, because of this conspiracy theory. I did see something the other day, someone had come up with the quantum medbed, so you could just send them some money and they would uh, you know, remotely heal you with the medbed, which I thought was somewhat evil, but also very clever. <laughs> Yeah, so there's a few versions of the theoretical medbed. Now, one of them, I did try it. 
there was a free trial and I did it. And it's a good thing it was free because you'll be shocked to learn that it did not work. But uh, you sign up and you check all these boxes and you make sure you read the disclaimer where they say, you know, this is not verified to treat any, you know, illness, even though that they pretty much say that on the website. And then you upload a picture of your bed, which is kind of weird. And then you, uh, they tell you that your eight-hour trial has begun. And so when my trial began, I laid on my bed and I said uh, the words that they told me to say just because I wanted to put in a good faith effort. And uh, once again, nothing happened. So I hope everybody does the free trial before they try the existing quote-unquote med beds, um, because otherwise they're going to spend like thousands of dollars on quite literally nothing. We're currently, you know, witnessing convoys of one sort or another in places like Ottawa, but also close to us in Canberra, large-scale gatherings and rallies of people opposed to vaccinations and, and others what do you think, if anything, connects these mobilizations with, I guess, the insurrectionary efforts of last year and, and January 6th? How do you trace the evolution from then until now? So since January 6th, we've seen these mandates or anti-mandate rallies, I should say, occur in either like a local or hyper-local context. You know, we saw the DC one uh, you know, last month. But before that, I mean, there was a bunch of little tiny rallies happening all over the place all the time. Some of them were quite big. And some of them, you know, maybe they had a couple hundred people, but there was still a presence. I think that what's been lacking for them since January 6th was a date to rally around and a reason to do it all at once. And of course, that's concerning when you have however many people it is doing something all at once in terms of this, you know, quote unquote activism. But now that they have that, and I, I don't know, I, I can't quite figure out the origin of why they chose this like late February, early March thing. I'm not entirely sure why, I mean, where that date or that time window came from. But now that they have confirmation that it's happening and that there's obviously a very uh, known public interest in doing so, now they have a reason to really mobilize. And, you know, I've seen little things here and there for the past year or whatever about, you know, oh, we're going to go on this date, we're going to protest on that date. But it's never been like this. And I think that's why you're seeing so much coverage of it, because it, it happened really, really quickly. It went from last week, where we weren't really sure if it was going to happen beyond Canada, to now where it looks like there's going to be at least one demonstration or at least one convoy. So I think what I said to uh, Ben Collins at NBC is I think that this is the culmination of everything, all the stress and all the angst and all the mandates that have come into play since January 6th. And this is now an excuse to rally around one cause and around one window of time. You're listening to Yenar Passaran on 3CR, 8.55am, 3cr.org.au and 3CR Digital on your DAB radio. If you'll indulge me for a second, I just want to bend your ear about subscribing to the station. Every week on 3CR, you can listen live, on demand or on podcast to anti-fascist analysis like you've just been listening to, unions fighting for workers' rights, community action addressing the climate catastrophe, indigenous communities fighting for sovereignty, Palestinian perspectives or any of the music or art programs that 3CR champions. And all of this stuff is never going to be funded by big business. We are a not-for-profit community radio station and we rely on a strong subscriber base to keep our financial independence. So, 
if you would consider supporting the station, we would be very, very appreciative because it keeps shows like this going that would not happen on commercial radio. 3cr.org.au slash subscribe is where you can do it online. Or if you're not into the, those website things, you can call during business hours, 94198377 and press 1 to subscribe over the phone. Folks, thanks so much. Now back to Sarah Aniano talking about QAnon. In terms of these convoys, there's been a, a lot of discussion online about the extent to which, uh, you know, shady foreign actors are manipulating social media. Uh, what's your read on that situation? If there's evidence of it, then, you know, there's no reason to believe uh, that that's not the case. I think there's always been a little bit of foreign influence in all of these things. My my I find it problematic when people blame it all on foreign influence because there are so many deeply rooted ideological and political factors that have driven uh, not just Americans, but everybody to believe in conspiracy theories like this and to not trust the government. You know, and those those predate you know, social media and the internet by by many, many decades. So uh, I wouldn't say it's not related at all, but it's not that I, I don't want to say that I don't believe it. I mean, I think it's it's clearly happening, but that doesn't really change anything now, right? I mean, that that doesn't really change the fact that people are going to do what they are going to do. And if there's a foreign actor that has played into what Americans uh, are kind of triggered by on that side of the political spectrum, then that's what happened. We saw on January 6th, there was a, a little bit of appetite from some in the GOP to maybe see if mm-hmm. they could harness the power of this, uh, this movement and perhaps uh, the fact that they then wanted to hang all of the GOP people as well, mm-hmm. give them some pause for thought. Uh, is there any indication that there are politicians who are looking at this convoy situation and thinking, oh, this could be something I could take advantage of? Are you seeing any politicians navig- sort of moving towards it? It's a good question. I know that Wendy Rogers, she's, uh, I say, the Senate and, and representative in Arizona. She was one of the main political figures that have pushed having a U.S. convoy. You know, they've gotten endorsements from like Trump and other people, but uh, Wendy Rogers seems to be one of the ones who like last week and the week prior, I saw talking about this kind of stuff. And if you're, you know, familiar with QAnon presence in Arizona, uh, in America, you'll know that Arizona is quite a popular region for QAnon belief. I'm not really sure why, maybe it's all the sunshine, but there's just like a lot of of weird like QAnon stuff that happens in, in Arizona. You know, we had the audits, we had the Q shaman, uh, so much stuff going on in Arizona, which is a shame because it's, it's really a beautiful place. But Wendy Rogers, like I said, she was talking about how she wants them to go to the southern border, so the U.S.-Mexico border, and do a convoy there. And then she was also talking about trying to protest the Super Bowl, uh, which is uh, tomorrow. The Super Bowl is tomorrow, yeah. That's the uh, the 13th. So a couple of weeks ago, she was already talking about that. Is there any indication that say, militias or you know, people of that, that ilk are getting involved in this convoy situation? I can only say that I saw one thing that said there was going to be Proud Boys involvement. Otherwise, I am not sure. But would it shock me if there, you know, were more coordinated militias involved? Absolutely not. They always show up (laughs) in some capacity. Um, Sarah, we've um, seen Facebook in particular come under quite a lot of criticism for allowing for the promotion of QAnon and then COVID disinformation. But one site that you've, uh, I guess, examined that maybe hasn't been such a focus is Instagram. Can you 
explain what the role of Instagram has been in uh, QAnon and also, um, I guess, the broader movement of which QAnon is a you know one part. So yeah, you're right uh, that um, Instagram has not been quite as acknowledged as a driver of uh, conspiracy theories and misinformation as you know, say Facebook and and you know, Telegram, obviously 4chan. Um, I was inst- interested in Instagram initially because um, of the influencer culture, which got so much of a foothold in, in Instagram for years now, especially wellness culture. And so obviously we've seen a lot of health and wellness influencers start to piggyback on QAnon narratives back in like 2020, maybe even earlier. And that was my personal entrance into QAnon uh, discourse online. And I think what shocked me was how little moderation there was and how how visual uh, the misinformation was. I mean, Instagram is primarily a visual platform and these memes were really, really effective on Instagram. What I also was interested in is how people started to evade censorship on Instagram. So you see people using uh, coded phrases instead of saying COVID, they'll spell it with a K or They'll call vaccines something else, or they'll they'll you know instead of calling it vaccinated people, they'll say swimmers or runners. Like they, it's kind of amazing how they've learned to code radicalizing discourse in order to evade content moderation. Before January sixth, I saw so much rhetoric, which is what my own uh, thesis research is centered around. My the research for my thesis is of QAnon Instagram comments before the Capitol riots. So the week leading up to that, I collected data and comments from five different uh, QAnon promoting Instagram accounts that had a decent following. And it's amazing what you see in these comments that did not get pulled down and did not get uh, any flags or content warnings on them at all. One In terms of Instagram, but I guess elsewhere as well, um, one question that occurs to me when looking at some of this material is, and especially given that it seems to occur quite rapidly, one moment you're promoting, I don't know, flowers, the next it's, you know, JFK Jr. or something, <laughs> is the sincerity with which these views are expressed. Do you think uh, the people who are, I, I guess the question is, to what extent do you think people engaged in this kind of, you know, discourse are, are genuine? And to what extent is it cynical and, I guess, profitable for people to indulge these sorts of ideas? Yeah, that's a common question. I mean, the honest answer is I don't know. I mean, it's it's hard to say who really believes what um, and who's just trying to, you know, be an opportunist. And that's the other thing is, you know, it's 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 hard to know who believes what in real life, let alone on the internet. So if you really think that if you say the JFK is coming back and you know you post about it a lot, I am inclined to think that you actually believe it. Among a lot of communication scholars, there's this there's this feeling that. People tend to take trolling uh, not as seriously as they should. So the premise of that is kind of maybe somebody is saying something online just for the likes or just for clout. They don't actually believe JFK is coming back. They don't actually need money for their cause, but they're trolling and they just want to do it anyway. It's not any less harmful whether they mean it or not. And I'm very interested in the how versus the why. And so I'm interested in how that happens and how that functions and how that helps uh, spread uh, conspiratorial beliefs and helps continue to radicalize people, you know, rather than the why, because I, I never really know who I'm seeing or what they actually believe or what their lives are actually like. Another perennial question is what to do if a friend or family member happens to 
embrace some of these beliefs. And I wonder, I asked that question also given that part of your interest uh, began when one of your friends began sharing some material with you. So um, it's a difficult question, but do you have any advice or observations to offer those who are trying to communicate with people who've been drawn to these sorts of ideas? It's really hard. I mean, I'm not friends with that person anymore. Frankly, I kind of, you know, started to distance myself from her not long after she you know, told me that she basically believed in the Pizzagate theory. I can tell you anecdotally that a friend of mine, her mom was a anti-vaxxer, kind of a conspiracy theorist type, and uh, she gave her mother an ultimatum. She said, you either have to get vaccinated and, you know, do do the thing or else you will not see your grandchildren anymore. And now that's really harsh, but it was effective. You know, she ended up getting vaccinated. And of course, after she got vaccinated, she realized that what she believed, you know, was going to happen after the vaccine didn't actually happen. So, you know, that's that's one important part. I, I, I want to say that people should continue to, you know, keep conspiracy theorists' loved ones in their lives and to continue to listen to them and, and try and talk to them, find common ground around other things. But I know that realistically, that's maybe the hardest thing to do. The honest answer is I I, I don't know. And I think that we're all trying to figure that out. Uh, I always advocate for empathy. I always advocate for hearing people out and understanding that we are all having a human experience. But, you know, if if they're starting to talk about theories that are adjacent to Nazi ideology, how do you continue to love that? How do you continue to accept that in your daily discourse without criticism? You can't save everybody, but if you can save, you know, some some people, you know, give it a try. You you might be able to, but I think that we have to manage our expectations. Uh, Sarah, just finally, any predictions for 2022 in terms of where QAnon goes next? <sighs> I think QAnon's going to go in the convoy. <laughs> uh, if 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 there is legitimate physical mobilization uh, from and between uh, Cali to DC, I think that's exactly where QAnon is going. I think that what we're seeing now is the most concerning thing I've seen since January 6th. I, I'm ha- I have the same uneasiness that I had before J6 uh, now. So, you know, whether or not it actually happens, I guess, remains to be seen. But I have no reason to believe that people won't try. And I think that that's unfortunately where we're headed, not just in America, but but around the world. I, th- I thought nobody could see January 6th coming. <laughs> right, it was shocking. <laughs> Who knew? Well, Sarah, thanks so much for joining us. If people want to find you on Twitter, you are at CoolFaceJane. That is correct. Thank you very much for having me. And just before we go, gentle listeners, it is subscriber month here on 3CR. Please consider heading over to 3cr.org.au slash subscribe or giving a ring during business hours on 9419 8377 and then press 1 to subscribe over the phone. We would really appreciate it. All right. Global Intifada is up next. See you later. See ya.
the media in this country, we as Indigenous people know, have censored our right of telling the truth. And the truth is what this country is most fearful of, in particular Indigenous truths. Until history is told by the vanquished lens, which is our people telling our story our way, and have the right to be able to incorporate that into a system of learning, well, people are always going to be denied that truth by deceit and lies. When you look at the type of psychological warfare and spiritual warfare that Aboriginal people are caught in, it's not just in the sense of military when they talk about weapons of mass destruction, but you're right, it's in terms of the media and the industry of media as a warfare against our people and so is religion, I believe, in the Western sense. They're, they're all weapons of mass destruction against our, our people. We need to keep Radical Voices on air. Subscribe now. Go to 3cr.org.au forward slash subscribe or call the station on 9419 8377.